I trust that you have a study guide for this morning's lesson. We try to make those available to you, and they're also available on the internet. We've been studying a course that focuses on the major points of doctrine from the Bible, because we want to know what we believe. We want to be clear about our beliefs. This course was outlined by a friend of mine, Norris Anderson, and we've come today right down to six o'clock, God's call. Now, before we begin, I want to point out to you the uniqueness of Christianity. We started in creation. God brought the world into existence out of nothing. Not just the world as we know it, but the universe. All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. At two o'clock, man sinned. Nothing unique about that. But what are we going to do about man's sin? Christianity provides a very unique solution to man's sin. At three o'clock, we had the incarnation. Well, that's unique among all the religions. God becomes a man and lives life down here on the earth. Then at four o'clock, we had the atonement. Christ dies for our sins. The God-man dies for our sins. That's unique. In the other major religions, the problem is, what do you do about guilt? No one dies for your sins according to those beliefs. Then at five o'clock, we had that which validates everything Christ did and said, the resurrection. And that too is unique to Christianity because it's a historical fact and you can study it as a part of history. So based upon everything that God has done, the incarnation at three o'clock, the atonement at four o'clock, the resurrection at five o'clock, now God is able to call us to himself. And this morning, we're going to see God's redemptive plan unfolding as He has called those and chosen those who would be in His nation in the Old Testament. And now we come to the New Testament church and God is calling His people to follow Him. Now, there are two very scary words in the Bible. So hang on to your Bibles. In fact, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, and we'll read through verse 6. Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace which He has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved is Christ. Now here are the two words, election and predestination. Sometimes the elect are referred to in Scripture as the chosen. And occasionally you will hear someone say, Whoa, I don't believe in predestination. I'm not any puppet on a string. Well, we need to dig a little deeper. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> election and predestination are very much present. In the New Testament, they are there. Bible scholars would not say, oh, I don't believe in predestination. 
they would say the dividing point is the basis on which God chooses and predestines. Now here are two possibilities because this has to do with God's calling. The first is this. God looks down the corridors of time and He sees that you will choose Him and then He chooses you on that basis. The other is the belief of the men of the Reformation and they would say God does His choosing solely on the basis of His sovereign grace. Uh, the other view, God is able to predestine because He's able to predict, gained popularity in the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, but now there is a resurgent, uh, resurgence of belief in God's sovereign grace. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is listen to the verses that we'll consider today and see which you think would be best, best fits the Scripture. You remember that after the fall, we talked about what had happened to man. His body then was subject to death. His mind was darkened that he could not understand. And his will obeys self. He was in a ruined condition. He was polluted by sin. He was under the power of sin. He was under the guilt of sin and under the wrath of God. What can he do? Now let's take a look at some scriptural references that describe man's ruined condition. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, devoid of the Spirit, we're told in the King James. What a terrible position in which to find yourself, but that's, <clears throat> that's the way we arrive in this world. We are without God. Here's another, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This man in 1 Corinthians 2.14 is referred to as the natural man. Now, the, the one way supposes that the natural man can understand these things. And he can understand them enough to know that uh, he needs Christ and he needs his sin forgiven and he can choose Christ. But we read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that the Greeks or the Gentiles think the cross is foolishness. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. So what can we do about man's condition? Sometimes I talk to a young person at Life Dynamics and I ask them about purpose in life and about what they're doing to uh, make life be what it ought to be and stay out of trouble. And they would respond, well, I just don't care. Well, you don't care if you go to hell? No, just don't care. Don't care if I go to prison? Don't care what happens. There seems to be a darkness that they just don't understand their plight without Christ. Here's another. 
John 6.65, Jesus is talking to a group and He went on to say, that's why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled Him. If He's in the natural state, He has to be enabled, moved to the enabled state, we might say, before He can grasp and understand and see that it applies to Him. Now, He understands the words, obviously, but He doesn't see that He has a need for the Gospel message. Now, let me say right now that if you want Christ in your life, all you have to do is recognize your need for Him and ask Him to come into your life to forgive your sin, to make you the kind of person that He wants you to be. Christ gives a universal offer. Whosoever will may come. But many don't see the need to come. Well, there is good news. We go from our ruined condition by God's sovereign grace to our renewed condition. Now this is predicted in the Old Testament. Some things that are going to happen in the New Testament. Of course, people attain salvation in the Old Testament as well. Not all of the Jewish people uh, had faith in God, but many of them did. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. In our renewed condition, we know God. And that doesn't mean just that I know there is a God out there somewhere. That means that it's, it's a personal thing, personal knowledge. And now we're coming to another Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live and then another, Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God gives us a heart to desire to follow Him and to please Him. We don't do that to chalk up points on my record in heaven. We don't do that so that perhaps He will love us more. That's the difference in Christianity and many other religions. They're calling to God, sprinkling chicken blood around the front yard, or crawling up the steps on your knees chanting something and all kinds of other things, bowing down to idols and many different things. But in Christianity, God calls on me initially. And certainly I call on Him. But He calls on me. And He moves my heart to follow His decrees and keep, my law, keep His laws. So let's compare the two, our ruined condition to our renewed condition. The ruined condition, we are without God, but in the renewed condition, that person loves God. In the ruined condition, he rejects God, but in the renewed condition, he loves God. Excuse me, he, he knows God in the first category there.
and then he loves God. Then in the ruined condition, he cannot come. He's not interested in coming, but in the renewed condition, he is enabled to understand. So God's chosen us to be in his kingdom. He's purchased benefits for us through the atonement, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now he's going to move us into the kingdom by his call. Is there anything that we do? Yes, there is much that we do. And at 7 o'clock, we'll hit conversion, and we'll look at that in detail. And right now, we're talking about God touching my heart so that I see my need for forgiveness and for Him. How do we get into the renewed state? How are we brought into the renewed state? The outer call is a presentation of the gospel. The inner call is what makes that outer call understandable. It's what makes it come right into your heart. We talked about this one Sunday some years back. And we talked about the fact that everyone hears the outer call that hears a gospel message. But for some people, that message rings true. And those are the ones who, by the power of God's Spirit, are receiving the inner call. And we'll look at some scriptures uh, that uh, speak to that. In John chapter 10 and verse 24, a group of Jews were gathered around Jesus and they were saying to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, why don't you just tell us? What do you think his answer was? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe. Why do you think they don't believe? You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why didn't the Jews believe? According to Christ, they were not of His sheep. But there was another reason. And we read it in that passage from 1 Corinthians. To the Jews, the message that Christ was bringing was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. But the Jews were expecting a different kind of Messiah. And when Christ came with the message from God, He kept saying God had sent Him he only spoke what God the Father told him. That was not the message that they wanted to hear. They didn't want the suffering servant. They wanted the ruling king. And we've talked about that. So they rejected Christ because He didn't fit the picture of the Messiah that they had in their minds. They didn't read Isaiah 53 carefully enough to know about the servant that was coming before the ruling king. The gospel, the power of God and the wisdom of God unto salvation. James 1.18 says, In the exercise of His will, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be, as it were, a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. When we were in the natural state, we didn't really get it. It may have taken some time for us to assimilate the gospel message and for it to dawn on me that I am a sinner. I grew up in the church. 
I was at the church every time the door opened. But I was older before it really dawned upon me that I was a sinner and I really needed forgiveness for my sin. Up until that time, it was just kind of a perfunctory routine, just kind of like quoting the Lord's Prayer. So the inner call helps me understand the outer call. And then I can say, oh, yes, he's talking about me when he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we confess our sins and so forth. Now, we want to see an example of someone who received this call. And there is a good example in Acts 16:14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Now, if she were a dealer in purple cloth, she was probably a wealthy woman. The city was known for that uh, purple dye and purple cloth that they produced. She was a worshiper of God. In other words, she was a seeker. At this point, she was one who was not belligerent toward God, but she didn't know the gospel message. Now, the Scripture says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She gets the inner call. The Lord opens her heart. She says, yes, that's what I've been waiting to hear. And she responds to it. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. James 1.18 And the word of truth is the outer call. Now here's the mandate for us as believers. We are to take that gospel message. It might be in a little abbreviated form and a track. It might be teaching a Bible study to some children who haven't heard the message or to those who thought they heard the message and didn't really understand it. It might be uh, training believers in the faith. But we are to take God's Word and we are to plant that seed. God is in control of the soils. And we hope it's in the good soil. But we can't determine that. We certainly can't determine it by outward appearance. So our task is to take the outer call and pray that that might become the inner call. The inner call, that the inner call might make the outer call to be effective to reach the heart. Now, who is involved in this process? We've seen at every point along the way that it's not just God the Father who is involved, there's some others involved. And this is one of our greatest defenses of the Trinity. Titus 3, 4 through 6. You're welcome to turn to that if you like, toward the back end of the New Testament. Titus 3, 4 through 6. Here we see the work of the Holy Spirit moving a person, the washing of regeneration, moving them from the natural state to the enabled state. And here's what the verse says. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now He, God the Father, saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Here is in the process of calling God the Father. He is giving us the Word through preaching and we're going to come to 
our job on preaching. He's giving the Word. The Holy Spirit is taking that Word, regenerating the heart, making it come alive to be able to respond to the Gospel. And then it all is happening through Jesus Christ our Savior. If someone doesn't believe in the Trinity, you can turn to a lot of passages in the Bible where all three persons of the Trinity are doing the work of God. No one but God can do the work of God. Well, let's look at an example now of the outer call. Example of the outer call. First, we have the presentation of the facts. What facts? The gospel facts. You may not be able to give a lengthy presentation, but you can give the condensed version, the shorter version. And uh, here would be a presentation coming from Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter preaching the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through Him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Now it would appear to me that God's set purpose was the basis for his foreknowledge and not the other way around. That God's just a kind of a fortune teller looking to see what's going to happen. The Bible says God has a plan. And his plan is going to work together for good. For whom? For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you look at that word, you'll see it all over uh, the New Testament in the epistles and uh, even some in the Gospels. So here's God's set purpose. Christ would be crucified and that would be the propitiation for our sin. But it's not over. Five o'clock. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold upon him. So there's a presentation of the gospel facts. Christ came. He was attested to you by miracles, wonders, his preaching with authority. But you men and others, ourselves as well, crucified him, put him to death by the hands of wicked men. And then he was buried. And then he rose from the grave with life to all who believe. And that brings us to the second step. A command to repent and believe. Now, listen carefully. We read earlier from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We talked about belief in the truth. But here is a verse that says, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now he said repent and be baptized. He didn't say repent and believe. What are we going to do with that? Baptismal regeneration? Well, I don't think so. Now, a lot of people would say it is absolutely necessary and if you're not baptized and if a, if a baby just born is getting ready to perish, you've got to get a, somebody there can baptize that baby or that baby can't go to heaven. But we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. 
And I think there would be good reason for that. Baptism is a picture of something. It's a picture of the inner cleansing of your heart when the Spirit of Christ comes in, the washing of regeneration. Baptism is not the real thing. Baptism is the picture of that. Of course, the Holy Spirit baptizes your heart. That's the real thing. Now, how could we say that we don't really believe in baptismal regeneration? Well, the thief who died on the cross was told, today you will be with me in paradise. He was told that by the Lord. He was not baptized. And some people say, well, now wait a minute, the atonement hadn't been accomplished yet. But Christ said, it is finished. And then we know Christ had already died before the thieves died because they had to have their legs broken so that they would die before the Sabbath day. So it looks like at least one man could get into heaven without being baptized. But there's more, and there are scriptures, 1 Peter 3.21. And corresponding to that, he's talking about Noah and the flood. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Are you listening? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the inner spiritual cleansing that water baptism represents that is necessary for salvation. So we would say to this, repent and believe. And it's certainly a great idea to be baptized. But all over the New Testament we see, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now we may talk a little bit at 7 o'clock about repentance because some people say, well, you're adding on something to the gospel there. You don't have to repent anything, but you just believe. But the definition of the word repentance, metanoia, means that I'm going in one direction and I turn around and I'm going in another direction. So that seems like the description of a person who turns to Christ. They're following some direction, following their own heart, following the world, the flesh, the devil, following whatever it may be. They may be a good citizen but they're trusting in humanism or whatever it may be. But then they turn and they go toward Christ. And that is repentance. We'll talk some more about that. Now, third, we have the promise, the command to repent and believe. And there are many, many verses we could look at that tell us that we need to believe. True saving faith. Not just believe intellectually that it's real, not just believe for a momentary time, but true belief that changes my direction, that changes my life. Then here's the next verse in Acts 2. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Remember those who were separate from God. For all whom the Lord our God will call. What would be a good summary of the outer call? In the study guide that you have, that's one of the questions. And we really should have said, what is a good summary of the outer call that the inner call makes effective? But here would be our summary. <clears throat> Someone preaches the gospel message. Somebody gives the gospel message. Maybe he's not preaching from a pulpit, but maybe he's sharing a track. But that's 
That's a part of preaching. That could be categorized as preaching. He shares the gospel message. Then the believer hears, and if he has the inner call, he believes in Christ. And then as a result, he calls upon the Lord and he receives forgiveness and salvation. But how are they going to hear it? Romans, 14, Romans 10, 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or someone sharing the message? And this is our responsibility. Take that message, give them a track, explain it to them, engage them in conversation. I found that a lot of people don't mind talking about spiritual things if you can just get shifted into that gear. And you know, people are thinking about the news and sports and politics and all those sort of things. And you have to take a little time to get a conversation started and then to shift gears. Now, some people are bold. They can just do it um, just cold turkey. Have you had any good news today? If you died and you were standing before the gates of heaven, the good news would be you'd know the right answer to get in the place. If they ask you, why should you come in? That's okay too. But whichever way you want to do it, we need to be sharing that gospel message. Now we want to take a look at the biblical description of the called in this closing section. Who are the called and what do they look like? The ones that would receive the inner call. Everybody gets the outer call that hears the gospel message. And that's the reason that we are striving to send missionaries to those who haven't heard. Now somebody would say, well now, if they haven't heard, that's just grossly unfair. Yeah, but you can think back to a time when everybody heard when they got off that boat and Noah and his three sons and their family knew that it was God who saved them through a worldwide flood that destroyed every living thing except the animals, the birds that were on the ark. So somebody fumbled the ball down through the centuries. But we find from Don Richardson and others, missionaries, Don Richardson who wrote Eternity in Their Hearts, that as they go to very primitive tribes, they have ancient stories that have been told down through the centuries that way back when, our fathers had a message of the great God. And we have lost that message. And one day, some people are going to bring us that message. There are some very interesting stories if you haven't read that little book. So my thinking is that if you live up to the light that you have, perhaps God will send you more light. But we better be cranking it out because we're the ones who generate the light and who send it through our missionaries and who go to take that light to others, even right here in our own community. So we're looking at those who are the called, who've had the inner call. Who are they? You can't tell just by looking. Oh, sometimes you can tell by a countenance that is radiant with the love of Christ, but you can't always tell. Romans 1.6, you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
Now, can you see if you look at some of these scriptures how this takes away any pride or anything that I may have done and it really begins to cause gratitude to well up in my heart. Because as a natural man, I'm saying, hey, I don't need it. Oh, it's good to go to church. Everybody goes to church. All your friends go to church. Good for business to go to church. But I don't need that bloody cross stuff. And a lot of churches have even eliminated the message of a bloody cross from their presentations. Well, we're sticking with it. Because that's the gateway. That's how you get in. How are they called? Galatians 1.6 I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the One who called you by the grace of Christ. What is grace? Grace is a gift. It's a gift. God calls us as His gift. To what are they called? 1 Corinthians 1.9 God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. We were just considering the life of Eric Little, whose family had gone from China on the mission field back to Canada. And Eric Little now is in a Japanese prison camp as such, a compound being held prisoner, and now, after, after faithful service as a missionary from a missionary family, he has a brain tumor, and he's dying, and he dies, never even having seen his third-born daughter. And we say, how could that be? That's not fair. Well, when you're called into the fellowship of Christ, God is faithful. Heaven is not too bad, and your family's going to be joining you there. So we just have to trust God that He knows what's best. To what are they called in Galatians 5.13? You, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. You know, if you'd never known political freedom, then you would know how to really appreciate political freedom. I received a little brochure. I don't uh, remember right now where I got it. But you've heard of Vacation Bible School. This is Vacation Liberty School. And it's going to be teaching young people to appreciate and protect and invest in your liberty. That's a pretty good idea. But imagine freedom from the bondage of sin. That's even greater. Because if you're free in Christ, no one can make you a prisoner. Oh, they may put you in a compound, but your heart is free. To what are they called? You know, as we're looking at the answers to these blanks, we could ask ourselves, does this describe me? Am I really in fellowship with Christ daily? Am I really free from those thoughts and attitudes and modes of behavior that would govern those who don't know Christ? And for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. Am I living a holy life? Of course I stumble along the way, but am I moving in that direction of Christ? To what are they called? 1 Peter 2, 9. 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. We had a lesson one time on Christmas talking about Christ, the light of the world. And we talked about everything that light does for us. Oh, it dispels the darkness, it kills disease, it shows contrast and colors, it even transmits communication now with fiber optics and a list this long of things the light does. What a great illustration for God to give us of who we are and of who Christ is. Out of darkness and into His wonderful light. To what are they called? 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 15, God has called us to live in peace. Are you walking in the light? Do you have peace at home? That's where the peace really should be evident so that we can begin to export it from our family, from our home, out to others. To what are they called? 1 Thessalonians 2.12 Live lives worthy of God who called you into His kingdom and glory. Now you can experience the glory of God right now. You don't have to wait until you die. Well, it goes on. We could probably go on for most of the afternoon, but we won't. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Everybody gets the call to eternal life. Everybody that hears the message. But for some, it is an effectual call. 1 Peter 2.20 But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. That's not a real good verse, is it? That's not one of my favorite verses that we were called to suffer. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. To suffer. It's like Eric Little. Suffer. And every Christian will suffer. It may be in different ways. But there is a purpose in our suffering. It is for our good and our sanctification. It is for God's glory. And as we respond to it as clay in a potter's hand, then God is glorified by that. Quick review. God's call is to fellowship. It is to freedom. It's to holiness. It's to be the light, to have His light and to be that light. It is to peace. It's to God's kingdom. It's to eternal life. And it is to suffering. Well, what a great encouragement that should be to us in evangelizing, in sending the missionary on the way with the message. Because God's call is going to be effective. Nothing can stop it. I have the privilege of participating with Him as the means of that call but I don't have to twist anybody's arm. I don't have to put them in a hammer lock. Now you've got to come to Christ. And I want to have a good presentation. I want the facts to be clear. 
but it's not going to be the wisdom and philosophy of man that brings them into the kingdom. It's going to be the grace and power of God. Perhaps today you're looking at all of those things and you're thinking, well, some of those things would be missing, maybe peace, maybe really walking in the light. If that's the case, come to Christ. I'd say the Holy Spirit would be doing a work in your heart if you're understanding that. And if you know you're a believer, then praise the Lord. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we close in prayer, I will lead us, but in your heart, let's express our gratefulness to God that we have heard the call, been able to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing book, the Bible. Thank you for all the things that are there that on Sunday morning we just barely get a sample of, but we thank you that we can take time to look and to evaluate, and we trust that we would be like the Berean believers who would examine the Scripture to see if these things are true. Lord, we do see that we have been placed in a location geographically and at a time historically when we would hear the gospel. And we thank you so much for that. And we pray, Lord, that we might be able to understand our great responsibility and privilege of participating with you in this process of carrying the gospel message here in our own neighborhoods and to those we see every day, but also to other sections of the community and parts of the state and outside the United States and different parts of the world. Lord, it would remind us this morning to pray for Andrew in Cambodia, pray for Naomi down in Peru, and we ask your protection upon them, and we pray, Lord, that they might be the light and that their fellowship with you would be so evident that others would be drawn to it. Father, I trust that if someone here who doesn't know you this morning, that this might be a time of coming into the light of expressing his or her need for forgiveness, of moving into the exciting adventure of life in Christ, being alive spiritually, being used for your kingdom purposes. Guide us now as we pray together, and Lord, remind us of things about which we need to pray. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.